Hey, podcast people. Tony Stark here. The show is called Re-MCU. These guys had the brilliant idea to do something no one else has. Rewatch the Marvel Cinematic Universe and talk about it. Top-notch idea, fellas. Congrats. Anyway, let's see what brilliant thoughts come from this. Take it away, boys. Welcome to episode three of Re-MCU. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And this, of course, is our podcast where we're re-watching and re-evaluating the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. And let's talk for a second, Cody, about that awesome intro that you just heard. Yeah, this that. was uh, this was something that we kind of kicked around and there were different ideas of how we wanted... We knew we wanted an impression in the intro. We just didn't know if we wanted it to be good or bad. <laughs> we, we thought about having the worst, like, Thanos impression. Yeah. But then we thought, like, the, the, uh, the joke might not get translated very well. Yeah. It might just sound like a terrible Thanos impression. <laughs> but yeah, this is – this is uh, we recorded the first two episodes before we had our intro in place. So that's why you didn't hear us talk about it back then. But uh, but now that we're we're here on our third episode, we can talk about the awesome uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. impression. What is the actor's name? I forget his name. His name is Jeff Richards. Uh, he was a uh, – he was a cast member on Mad TV and then he switched over to SNL. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, so the first he was the first guy to ever be a cast member on both shows. It's pretty awesome, and uh, and it's a really really solid Robert Downey Jr. impression. I think he's the only one that we found that that had a, a decent Robert Downey Jr. impression because it's just it's just more of a cadence thing than 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 an actual voice. I think. But I th- it's, yeah, yeah. It's 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 more of a it's in the performance versus sounding like him as much. I think. Yeah, and and I threw together all those clicks and clacks and explosions and shit that you hear in the intro and so so that that was that was my talent cody into the intro so and i wrote it so whatever (laughs) no i I wrote it and you tweaked it we wrote it together asshole (laughs) i made it better you 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 had a suggestion to change it and yes we we went with that but the meat of it is mine you motherfucker We'll, we'll arbitrate this bastard. <laughs> I'll see you in court <laughs> for, for the royalties. WGA West. Let me get them on the phone. Uh, yeah, so th- again, uh, this is our third episode. And for this episode, we're covering the third film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man 2. From 2010, this is the, of course, very first sequel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And mm-hmm. the one where all the pieces really start to... Um, be lined up for what was coming next and, and you know m- some people might say to the detriment of the film itself but this is the first the first real inklings of the giant shared universe that we're going to get mr stark if we pick up now where we left off mr stark please yes dear can i have your attention absolutely do you or do you not possess a specialized weapon i do not you do not i do not well it depends on how you define the word weapon the Iron Man weapon. My device does not fit that description. How would you describe it? I would your describe device? it by defining it as what it is, Senator. As? Uh, it's, a, mm, it's a high-tech prosthesis. <laughs> that is, that is, that's actually the most apt description I could make of it. It's a weapon. It's a weapon, Mr. Stark. I hate Please, if your you. priority was actually the, the well-being... No, my priority of the is to get the Iron Man weapon turned over to the people of the United States of America. Well, you can forget it. I am Iron Man. The suit and I are 
One, to turn over the Iron Man suit would be to turn over myself, which is tantamount to indentured servitude or prostitution, depending on what state you're in. <laughs> Can't have it. Uh, look, I I'm no uh, expert. In prostitution, of course not. You're a senator. Come on. All right. I hadn't seen this since it came out, and I assume you haven't either. Well, I think I hinted towards this on either this show or another, but I have—I had never seen the whole thing. It's the oh. one uh, when I watched it at home. Um, I, I think I rented it, and uh, I just—I wasn't into it, and so I tapped out. Of course, not knowing that there was going to be, you know, another nineteen <laughs> movies that came after it that would all tie together. Um, or yeah, yeah but, but you know, I uh, yeah. So I this was my first time watching it in full. So what did you think of the movie? You know, I, it's not that bad. Surprisingly so. Because uh, I, I remember really not liking it. And I think so much of that was tied to the things in the movie that really don't work. Um, and there are a lot. So I think – so th what's interesting is this movie was written by Justin Thoreau. Um, mm -hmm. And so Justin Thoreau was uh, – he's had an interesting career because, you know, he – he he did a lot of writing um in in like the mid 2000s um where like he wrote Tropic Thunder and uh, he wrote Iron Man 2 and then he also uh wrote some not so good stuff but um <laughs> but uh and so i i feel like this version of the movie is a little bit more comedically uh com it, there's more of a comedic tone to it where like, Robbie Robbie Downey Jr. gets to turn up the smart ass to like eleven uh, in this movie, and I think it leads to some good stuff. I think that first and foremost, there's some stuff that doesn't work. Um, I think that anything that's Whiplash or Mickey Rourke and uh, is is not really not good. Um, I don't think it's a good performance. I don't think it's a good villain. Um, I, I feel like the motivations of him and, and what he's starting, like what he's actually building compared to what he's asked to do, like I, that that whole storyline just doesn't really work well for me. Yeah, yeah. So this is like fresh off of Mickey Rourke, uh, his mini comeback he had with The Wrestler. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is this is how he ended up showing up at this film, playing a, a really not very convincing Russian science, like <laughs> – Russian nuclear physicist or something, mm -hmm. but he's just huge, like a muscle bound, crazy person. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I don't think that that really it really uh, has the impact that that the film thinks it does. Well, and 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 I also think that one thing that that really um, does a disservice, and we'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about cast. But I I, I think that his counterpart in Justin Hammer, played by um uh Sam, Sam Rockwell. Rockwell. Uh Rockwell. I, I don't think that story really works either. Um like the the idea of a competing weapons manufacturer and and him being just kind of like a a smarmy version of uh, like a Tony Stark wannabe basically. Um I never feel like that story quite comes together. And we'll talk about that a little bit more with Rockwell in particular. What I think does work is I really like what they do with like Tony Stark's relapse story. So Tony Stark, uh, is, I mean, it's really not. I, I feel like the relapse is more symbolic than anything else. But, uh, but, but Tony Stark uh, goes through a phase where he starts like drinking a lot, and he and it all comes to head at this party, which leads to a really great scene of War Machine and uh, well, uh, you know, uh, Rhodes in the War Machine um, costume with Tony Stark in the Iron Man costume at a party kind of battling it out uh towards the middle of the movie which i i, lo I love that whole sequence and that whole stretch that, that was a great scene you now how it how it got to that point with the two of them facing off i didn't really totally buy into 
Because the movie wants you to believe that that Tony sort of subconsciously wanted Rhodes to to take this armor, like because he had a passcode and all sorts of stuff like that. And I don't think the the movie really conveys that very well. And probably probably because it, it's a little jarring that ne- instead of uh, um, oh god, who was the re- Terrence Howard? Now you have Don Cheadle playing Rhodes, so it's a they approach the characters a little different. But one scene, uh, the scenes that I really, really did like were the congressional hearings. Yeah. Uh, and it, again, it made me really, really sad that Gary Shandling is dead. Cause I really <laughs> liked, I really, really liked him in that like smarmy senator role. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think that's where the comedy gets to be played up too in those, in those Senate hearing meetings. Uh, there, there's an especially funny moment where, um, he, he played, he puts something on a TV and <laughs> Sam Rockwell is forced to like find the plug and unplug it. It's just, oh, really, yeah. it's really good comedy. Um, but, um, yeah, it, one thing that struck me and I don't know if you felt the same way, but I was surprised this, I feel like this is the most like military, uh, driven that Rhodes has ever been. Um, and, and I, and I thought that that felt, I, it, it felt early on, especially with him working closely with Hammer, that it sort of, um, sold out the character a little bit or gave a, a, a direction that I feel like wasn't ever really touched on, um, after that point. Well, yeah, cause he basically, Rhodes basically steals the Iron Man armor, which like I said, the movie wants you to believe Tony wanted all along. But he basically steals the Iron Man armor and takes it straight to the to the military, and they weaponize it with a bunch of shit. Yeah, and and, and then he's supposed to be cool with Tony after that. I yeah, I don't. I think it does sort of undercut the character's relationship with Tony a little bit because he. I think this is probably the last we really see of like the real military in in the modern times in this Marvel cinematic universe. I know Captain America is the military, you know, like the world war two era, but I feel like this is the last time like the, the real air force is involved. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm misremembering the f- mm-hmm. future films, but this is the last time that it's ever going to be like a, you know, an actual war movie or an actual military, yeah, actual military hardware. Well, and, and yeah, and I think that that is, uh, that's the biggest thing that struck me about watching it is, is just how, it's still in that sort of Bush era military, uh, <laughs> military mode. And especially with the character of Rhodes, who, you know, I feel like we never even really see Rhodes as like a soldier, um, or, a, or, a, you know, in, in that kind of mode, um, at any other point. And I, and I, and I found that just such an interesting take. Um, the other big part of, of the movie that, uh, that stands out is, um, the introduction to two new characters who will become big cogs in all of this, um, which are uh, Natasha Romanoff um, and, uh, and uh, Nick Fury, and I, 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 it's, I, I had forgotten that um, that the that the Romanoff thing was was like she was playing the their personal assistant basically. Um, I, I had forgotten that arc, and I don't know that it really does the character a lot of service. Uh, in terms of introing her, well, yeah, it's one of those things that that you. I think everybody already kind of knew going in, and it doesn't really come as a surprise that the character is this badass spy assassin. Uh, but yeah, I don't think that it's a a great intro because she's basically being played as eye candy for for Tony Stark for most of the film until she kind of reveals herself in the diner or donut mm-hmm. shop later. 
But uh, uh, yeah, it's one of those it's one of those things that I feel like we already knew about going in, so it wasn't it wasn't so like the, the, there was no mystery there. And it, really, watching it now, there's ob- absolutely no mystery. So I don't know how that ever really played. Yeah. To, to someone who didn't know how it how it felt to that th- who already didn't know that this character was uh, you know capital I important going forward. Mm-hmm. Um. And one other thing that that I wanted to talk about too that that I think that it does right is the final sequence. Um, it's it's maybe the most violent thing up until that point in the MCU, where it's just you know it's it's Stark and Rhodes in their uh, in their armor just like destroying drones. Um, <laughs> yes. and and it's just got it's there's some great and it's brutal too. There's some brutal. I mean, it's drones, but brutal kills or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's super violent. It's it's just you know like fifteen, ten, fifteen minutes of machine guns and stuff. But there's it's really it's it's a really well executed action sequence that I actually found myself really enjoying the climax of that of well, that movie. And uh, presumably right before that, the, when the drones attack the uh, Stark Expo, presumably there's a lot of death going on there. The committee would now like to invite Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes to the chamber. Rhodey, what? Hey, buddy. Can't expect to see you here. Look, it's me. I'm here. Deal with it. Let's I move just, on. I, I just... I drop just, it. All right. I'll drop it. I have before me a complete report on the Iron Man weapon compiled by Colonel Rhodes. And, Colonel, for the record, can you please read page 57, paragraph 4? You're requesting that I read specific selections from my report, Senator? Yes, sir. It was my understanding that I was going to be testifying in a much more comprehensive and... In detail I understand. Matter. A lot of things have changed today. You do so understand you just that read. reading a single paragraph out of context does not reflect the summary of Just read of my it, final. Colonel. I do. Thank you. Very well. As he does not operate within any definable branch of government, Iron Man presents a potential threat to the security of both the nation and to her interests. I did, however, go on to summarize that the benefits of uh, Iron Man uh, uh, far uh, outweigh the liabilities, uh, that's and enough. that it would that's be in enough, our interest Colonel. to fold that, Mr. Enough. Stark into the existing chain of command. I'm Senator. not a joiner, but I'll consider Secretary of Defense. If yes, nice. <laughs> we can amend the hours a little bit. Now, uh, obviously, there's uh, uh, the main cast members returning are Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow. However, this is the first appearance of. As we mentioned, Don Cheadle as James Rhodes. What did you think of the cast in general? Let's start with with uh, Don Cheadle. So I feel like Cheadle's a better Rhodes than Terrence Howard. Um, it, it, and I think it all comes down to demeanor. I don't think that Terrence Howard had much personality and brought much personality to the character. But uh, but I feel like Don Cheadle brings a, like a subtle sarcasm and... Um, in in uh, in a little bit more energy to the role, which what I I really like watching him and, and Robert Downey Jr. together. Um, I think they have mm-hmm. much better chemistry than him and Terrence Howard had. Yes, agreed. Yeah, uh, and and I think that it, he's just a he's a, a a nicer character. Like he comes across as like a genuine friend to Tony, where where I feel like Ter- Terrence Howard sort of came across as like a business associate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I and I really I I do think. Don Cheadle's a little small. Like he, he's just, a, he's always been like a, a really slight actor, like small in stature. Mm-hmm. So it is a little odd to see him in the iron, uh, to, in the war machine armor. Cause it looks like he's just got a tiny little head, but, <laughs> but I do like him a lot. Okay. How about, uh, yeah, Mickey Rourke? We talked a little bit about this earlier. 
But this is, uh, again, uh, Mickey Rourke coming off of his, his turn in The Wrestler, which sort of revived his career. And this film, he's playing a Russian super genius nuclear physicist for some reason. Yeah, I mean the character looks ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> he's got what? He's got like dreads and gold teeth and stuff, or whatever. And has a, has a fucking bird that he loves, and yeah, it's it 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 almost feels like they hired him for the role, and he's like, I want to do this these three weird fucking things to I my character. Wear, yeah, I want to <laughs> wear my own clothes. <laughs> And look, it's 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 just a really bad Russian accent that he puts on too. He's the worst part of the movie. It's it's just not it's not a good character. I don't think that the character the character is going on its on his own arc on his own that just doesn't serve the movie at large at all. Um, and so I it's I just think it's a it's a pretty bad performance to well, be honest. The, the whole gist is that he's the son of a a scientist that worked with uh, uh, Stark Tony Stark's father. And got left out of some sort of credit or something. I don't really remember what the the problem was that he why he hated Tony Stark so much. But but it does lead to uh, his intro does lead well not his intro but his like big moment where he faces off with Tony Stark is a pretty cool moment at the the a Grand Prix race and it's the first time Tony deploys the the uh, suitcase armor mm-hmm. which is the first the first of these uh, Iron Man armors that doesn't involve him being like bolted into a you know, this giant uh, rig, on, you know, with all these robots helping him. And it's a cool scene and it kind of it's it's a precursor to when he just sort of like looks at his watch and then an Iron Man suit forms around him. Also on the villain front, we have Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer, who basically is playing, I would say, kind of every Sam Rockwell character. Yeah. Look, I, I and, and you use this term for someone else I, it's a very much a bless his heart thing for me <laughs> uh, because i look i i love 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 sam rockwell and he's playing a very sam rockwell character but it's so it's so showy and not in a good way i, I don't think it's it's just a very hammy performance and rockwell can do like over the top but subtle really well and and it's just this this character is in constant ham mode and i think that it's supposed to provide like like a counterpart or like a mirror reflection of Tony Stark, but well, he, you know what it reminds me of? Uh, and, and this is uh, something I saw someone else compare something to recently, but it reminds me of, uh, have you seen Twister? Yes. So remember when there was like the team of evil tornado chasers? <laughs> yes, I do. Led by, led by Carrie like, Elways. It was like, what? it doesn't even make any sense. Like they're just competing scientists. Like, why are they the bad guys? And that's kind of what this was too. It's sort of like he's sort of an evil version of Tony Stark. Anyway, yeah, I, I just, I just really didn't. Um, I just was not into that performance at all, which sucks because, like I said, I, I do really love Sam Rockwell, but it just, uh, it just rang false to me. So, how about uh, um, this is the the big intro for? Obviously, we saw Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury in the the uh, post credit sequence for the first Iron Man film. This is the first one where we really get a sense of of what he's doing there. And I don't know that it really adds much to the character. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I, I don't feel like it adds much, if anything <laughs> at all. Yeah, and, and this movie kind of ends in a weird spot with him and Stark. Like, he basically tells Tony Stark to get lost. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't really understand how that fits in with the rest of the series. But uh, moving on to uh, Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff. 
who, again, as we mentioned earlier, starts off this role as the uh, secretary, not secretary, but like personal assistant for Tony Stark, and then shows off that she's a badass assassin. Yeah, I just don't, I, I feel like there's so many of her, like, I don't know why they have to, like, make it, she's like, she's like a sexy spy type thing. I don't. I don't. I don't know why that characterization bothers me a little bit, but it's just the idea that she shows up as like Tony's hot assistant, and they play that up. I mean, there's there's multiple lines and jokes made to to that effect, and and Pepper, you know, uh, is the one who kind of doesn't want her around or, or or thinks that she's becoming too involved at first and stuff like that. And I just wish there was a better way to introduce that character as a spy than by making her the hot assistant. You know. Yeah, it just uh, feels very. It feels very pre Me Too. <laughs> well, right, and 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 I, I think that that's the the biggest problem with that character in general is that there's not really much to uh, Black Widow other than her being sexy and being kind of a badass. And I think that's a problem that the the film series never really dealt with on a, a larger scale. I think her best her best best written role in the whole marvel cinematic universe is the winter soldier Mm -hmm. where she gets the you know to play like cap's partner basically but yeah there's there's not a lot that they've done with that character that's been appealing up to and including her sort of inconsequential death in avengers endgame right but uh we're 20 movies away from that right now uh this uh, with though with her and samuel l jackson this is probably the the source of the biggest complaints about the film is that it's a lot of table setting for what's coming later and rewatching yeah. it again, I didn't really feel like that was as big of a problem as I maybe did nine years ago when the film came out. I don't think I did either, though it does occasionally feel like there's two competing movies going on, especially any time that like the villains are interacting, being Rockwell and Rourke. Um, and then, you know, seeing what's happening with um, with Romanoff and Fear. I, like, I just feel like at times the movie feels like it's conflicting with itself. Um, I don't think that it's too overly table setting. I do feel like it feels self-contained, but um, I don't know. I, maybe it's just structured oddly or I, I, don't, I don't really know. Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to exit the donut. you i don't want to join your super secret boy band <laughs> no 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 see I, I i remember you do everything yourself how's it working out for you it's, 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 it's... i'm sorry i don't want to get off on the wrong foot to look at the patch of the eye honestly i'm a bit hungover i'm not sure if you're real or if, if I'm having i am very real i'm the realest person you're ever gonna meet just my luck where's the oh, staff here that's not looking so good We've secured the perimeter, but I don't think we should hold it for too much longer. Huh. You're fired. That's not up to you. Tony. I want you to meet Agent Romanov. Hi. I'm a shield shadow. Once we knew you were ill, I was tasked to you by Director Fury. I suggest you apologize. So like I mentioned, this movie is nine years old. It's the third film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and there's a bunch of shit that happened since then. How do you feel it holds up in that in the universe um so within the context of the universe um i think that it provides a good um i i think that it's an important movie because i think it shows a different um trajectory for tony stark where i i really like like i said there's a stretch of the movie that's maybe what what would you say 30 45 minutes where tony stark is kind of in self-destruct mode 
Right. And and I think that that's maybe some of the most interesting stuff they've ever done with that character. Mm-hmm. And so I think that because of that, the movie serves a purpose of taking a different look at Tony Stark than what we're used to seeing. You know, he's he's always the rock that holds together everyone. And he may conflict or battle with people within the Avengers, but battling himself never really came back up until a lot of the Spider-Man stuff where he was feeling like the internal guilt about um, his interaction with Peter. Um, so you mean, you mean uh, uh, the uh, infinity war in game stuff? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in some Spider-Man homecoming too, a little bit. Um, so, uh, I, I, I think that it gives some of the more like character-rich uh, moments of the character of Tony Stark, and so for that reason, I think that it it, it provides it's it's a, nece- a it's a necessary movie that gives you something that you may not see in anything else. Now, story-wise, I don't really think it adds anything to to the to the lore um, other than. Um, other than you know, getting to see these people interact for the first time, and, and it gets the story going of Shield moving a little bit. But um, uh, you know, looking looking back on it, it's 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 certainly I, I don't I don't know why I turned it off back then. <laughs> I was just an, I was an angry uh, you know however old I was. Um, yeah, ten. I don't know. I was not ten. No. I was not born in two thousand. <laughs> no, it was uh, uh, one of the things that I liked uh, that I remember not being terribly interested in back then. I did like the the sort of backstory with Tony Stark's dad uh, here, played by John Slattery, uh, who played the role a couple more times. That was but, good. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I was I was really uh, interested in that more so than I was uh, the original. The first time I th- I saw it, it's very sort of a in this version, very sort of Walt Disney esque. Uh, you know he's he's he sort of you know gets to display his his uh, his um, Stark Expo like in a very Disney fashion. It was interesting to me, and it was even though the Stark Expo thing doesn't make a lot of sense in the current timeline that the the film is in, and it is never ever really mentioned again. But it, it is uh, it is an interesting little backstory piece of backstory to the whole thing, and showing that his dad was part of this this. Uh, growing thing that was shield back then i liked i i like the the lore in there i mean it obviously it culminates again in end game with one of the corniest scenes in all the movies where a grown robert downey jr interacts with his father in the 70s uh and and basically has every time travel conversation ever but it's uh it, it's a nice start i think and i i liked i like john slattery a lot i'm a big madman fan mad men fan and I liked seeing you in the role. Um, also, uh, I think expanding upon the last time around, I think Pepper Potts gets a lot more to do. That's not just be uh, kind of the ditzy ish assistant. You know, she gets promoted to CEO of Stark Industries in this film. And I think she she has a lot of shit that she puts up with. She has a, uh, a couple of great lines, uh, great inter- interactions with uh, Tony Stark. And I believe uh, we've played the clip already, but uh, the one where. Leslie Bibbs character shows back up. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a great, it's a great sort of dirty line uh, and a great line reading from, from both her and from, from Robert Downey Jr. That, that really kind of cements her as this sort of s- sarcastic equal with him, which I really enjoyed. Cause I thought at the end of the first Iron Man film, she just sort of turned into like a bumbling dits in distress. And I like the evolution of the character being something that, that we see, you know, she actually gets to be the boss and gets to, to 
to be the the one that's right uh, when Tony's wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, it's again, it's not as it's also it's not as table setting as I thought it was. I, I don't I don't know where that complaint comes from. I don't know that it's a modern, you know, sort of people uh, not looking back on it, but I don't think it's as table setting as a lot of people complain about it being. And yeah. I don't think it's the worst film. Uh, and a lot of people call Iron Man 2 the worst of the series, and I don't think it's the worst. I don't I don't either. Well, I mean, we're early into it, but I can't imagine. I, I mean, I know for sure that there's a movie in there that I liked less than this watch. And I was I was surprised by that when I was watching it because I was I was I think it's it's the funniest movie up to this point. It's and it's 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 got a lot of really funny lines. Like I said, I think there's a lot that doesn't work. And I think that the villain stuff is is pretty, pretty pointless. Um, but it's I, I, I don't think it's a bad movie by any stretch and um and i think it 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 certainly uh you know takes the character and allows it to uh you know experience things that 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 quite honestly we don't see much of like i was alluding to earlier you know we don't see tony stark struggle with his demons as much as we do in this movie uh, throughout the rest of the mcu to my knowledge anthony is that you my least favorite person on earth justin how you doing You're not the only rich guy here with a fancy car. You know, Christine, ever heard from Vanity Fair? You guys know each other? Hi. Yes. Yes. Yes, roughly. We do. BTW, big story. The new CEO of Stark Industries. Congratulations. I know. My editor will kill me if I don't grab a quote for a powerful woman to show. Can I? Sure. Um, She's actually doing a big spread on me for Vanity Fair. I thought I'd throw her a bone, you know. Right. right. Yes. Well, she did quite a spread on Tony last year. And she wrote a story as well. It was very <clears throat> impressive. That was good. All right. So this movie takes place, obviously, after the first Iron Man. But interestingly, it takes place before The Incredible Hulk, if you uh, follow the exact timeline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I don't really understand because I don't think that this movie leaves Tony Stark in a place where he's going to be trying to recruit the Hulk in, in the singer of the incredible Hulk. But I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm curious how, how you look back on this and you see how it fits into the larger picture. Obviously this intro, you know, there's the, it expanded on the shield thing, but, but other than that, where do you think that, how do you think this fits into the whole Marvel cinematic universe? I think that ultimately it's the first, time that we get to see uh i mean i think its significance is it's the first sequel direct sequel that's made and so um you know it showed the ability to take um to take characters and not only build towards future movies but do that while also getting to tell more stories of single characters and so um, I, I think that it fits that it in that it, it it starts these what ultimately is at least a trilogy of movies for for most of the uh, the early Avengers, um, and um, as far as where it fits into kind of the MCU as a whole, um, I I feel like it's it's ultimately probably going to be one of the lesser entries into the MCU. Um, I, I I you know I still feel like it's Marvel trying to find their footing. Um, where they're taking the character that they've had the most success with thus far, the one that they have the biggest grip on, and expanding it. And I found it interesting that we got a second Iron Man movie before we got um, Thor or Captain America. Um, I, I I feel like that's pretty interesting that, you know, I don't know if maybe they felt 
after the Hulk, they needed to write the ship. I don't know if, um, if you know, I don't know how the development went down or when they decided, but um, I do find it a little bit interesting that um, that the first thing we got was an Iron Man sequel before we introduced more characters in their own yeah, movies. Well, I, it is, uh, you know, one of those things that uh, I think it, it needed to happen because it, you know, it did kind of need to cement the whole thing. Uh, I think this is one of the first... Probably the only sequel, other than uh, well, I shouldn't say that because that's not true. But but you, you, there is this tradition of the sequels to the Marvel films not really meaning anything other than the Captain America movies for some reason, and that's where they really seem to advance the plot and advance certain things in the universe. But like if you look at Iron Man two and you look at Thor two and you look at Guardians of the Galaxy two, like nothing really gets advanced. It's just another sort of adventure. But when you look at Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which is the second film, I mean, that shows you that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been a sham the whole time. It's been a Hydra front. And then the third Captain America, obviously, is uh, Civil War, which, you know, puts the, the, the schism between Tony and, and Cap. And I don't know why that really is, why these movies don't seem to take any chances i can understand why iron man 2 didn't but then going forward i don't really know why the sequels to these standalone films don't really try to stretch their legs in any way that's going to affect the the larger storyline and it's it's something that's always sort of puzzled me and i just don't understand why marvel did it because you know even when they were finding their footing with iron man 2 and and uh i guess to a lesser extent thor the dark world it still seems like there could have been something that moves the plot forward in a larger sense. And I, 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 I'm just curious as to why it never seemed to happen. Yeah. I mean, my guess is maybe they want to hold all of those plot points to the big, um, event movies, but you're right. The, the idea, that's a great point of the, another adventure type thing, because I, I, I remember, and I don't remember the movie all that well because I've only seen it once. But I remember walking out of Iron Man three really feeling that, like, like it was literally just we just watched an Iron Man adventure. Yeah, um, yeah. And and if the movies are going to connect in some way, I wish that they had more consequence between one another. And I think that they started to remedy that a little bit, where with like Thor Ragnarok, where it's a Thor movie, but you also see in advance of the Hulk character. Yes. And, and I feel like maybe we may see that in Guardians Three, depending on how heavily involved Thor is in it. But I, I but as in, 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 I, I guess to some degree, you know, like you said, Natasha in Captain America: uh, Winter Soldier gets so uh, gets uh, a lot to do. So they had not quite yet figured out that the idea of we're going to advance one character's um, role in um, uh, in another movie, because really, when you look at it. I think maybe the most significant legwork for Tony Stark in the whole series happens in Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, when when you see how how heavily invested Tony was in, in, in Peter, which is the whole reason that he gets involved in Avengers Endgame is because of Peter. And so I, I really think that um, a lot of that legwork is done in, in Homecoming. And so uh, I think that once they kind of figured that out, they, 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 got, a, they got a grip of how to you know have not the standalone movies be another adventure but instead be you know this is how we're going to incorporate this character and move the story as a whole forward yeah and and, you know i've complained about it before but you know tony stark's 
worldview seems to shift from movie to movie because as you mentioned iron man 3 the very end of that he blows all of his iron man suits up and and gets rid of the arc reactor in his chest like he's he's basically like shunning everything that he has and then in uh the very next chronological film uh, uh avengers ultron uh, age of ultron he's right back to it which is is confusing and and strange and it doesn't like I don't I don't know how to square Iron Man three with anything else that happens mostly because it doesn't you know nothing that that really develops in that film pays pays dividends later I don't know if you remember Iron Man three that well and we'll talk about it obviously down the road but he he spends most of the time working on being uh, having Iron Man suits that are remote like he's not in them yeah uh, and it, it's just a, a it's a strange thing that 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 was never really brought up again. Um, and, and I think that to an extent, there's some of that stuff in, in this film too, in Iron Man two, where there's, you know, the, the idea that the, the arc reactor was poisoning him in his chest. And uh, he had to create a new element, which was a weird thing. I see. I don't remember that plot point. Like he created a new element. I did not remember that at all. <laughs> I thought it was going to be vibranium because I thought that's where vibranium got introduced, but I guess it doesn't get introduced until uh, uh, Captain America, uh, the first Avenger. But yeah, there's, there's ultimately, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be very consequential or it doesn't feel very consequential at all going forward. I don't think there's anything from this film that really carries over other than, other than Rhodes taking the, the other Iron Man suit and becoming war machine. Other than that, I don't think anything really resonates further on in the in the series out of the main frame? please please go away go away i've got this handle have you now yes i do in fact if your guy hadn't showed up this wouldn't be happening so please now go away thank you listen we gotta get these bitches out of here and you tell me who's behind us who's behind us i'm ivan ivan vanko where is he he's at my facility so in 2010, obviously, this is the big dog of the superhero films because there wasn't much going on in the genre at the time. There are uh, two other major superhero films released in 2010. One of them is Kick-Ass, which is sort of a based on a more adult version of uh, the kind of vigilante story. Uh Direct uh, from Mark Miller, uh, directed by uh, Matthew Vaughn, who I'm not a terribly big fan of. And this movie I wasn't really a big fan of either. I don't know what you thought of Kick-Ass. I loved it. <laughs> really? The first one? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I, I, and part of that may have been you know, the, the age. and Because you know, it, <laughs> it, was, it was really one of the first super adult, edgy comic book movies that there had ever been. Um, in, in terms of like super lang- like bad language and like cl- like a, like a young Chloe Moretz saying terrible things and doing terrible things, yeah. uh, I, I liked. It. I, I really loved that movie when I uh, when it first came out, and I remember having even, a conversation. Even with even, the, even though it had Clark Duke in it, I love Clark Duke. What are you talking about? Oh wait, who, who was it you didn't like? Oh, Josh Gad. Shit, sorry. Yeah. No, wrong, I, 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 wrong, I, I, wrong moon-faced white guy. No, because I remember being excited about that, because I don't know if you know if you ever saw it, but uh, Michael Sarah and Clark Duke did this uh, web show f- uh, called Clark and Michael, and it was amazing, and I was a huge fan of Clark Duke after that, and then this was um, probably maybe even his first like big role after 
Clark and Michael. I'm, so, I'm sorry I got him confused with Josh Gad. I apologize to you, Cody. I apologize to Clark Duke. That's who I'm <laughs> sorry, Clark Duke. Uh, okay, also uh, another, uh, an- another high-profile superhero movie, uh, Jonah Hex, starring Josh Brolin <laughs> and Megan Fox. I never did see this one. Boy, it's uh, it's real bad. Um, Isn't it only like seventy five minutes long too? Like it's really super short. Eighty one minutes. Yeah, eighty one. It it, it, lo- it made ten million dollars at the box office uh, off of a forty a reasonable forty seven million dollar uh, budget. The only the only reason I I really remember Jonah Hex is because the band Mastodon uh did the score to that movie um which i enjoy mastodon and i like their score to it but uh the (laughs) the movie itself is terrible and it was named uh actually uh it's on their wikipedia page it was named worst picture of the year by the houston film Critics society in 2010 our organization oh cool very cool okay and so one more i'm gonna add here i don't really feel like it's the same sort of thing but it is based on a comic book and i know I know how much you love this movie. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yes. I, I, I've watched it a couple times. I never got into it. Um, it gets, it it gets better with every watch for me. It's, it does have a a pretty badass cast, Mm -hmm. um, going forward, uh, you know, with looking at like, well, for example, uh, Chris Evans is in it. Mm -hmm. Um, who else? There's a, uh, Brie Larson, Brie Larson, uh, Brandon Routh. Uh, a lot of people that would that either did play superheroes or will play superheroes. Mm-hmm. I just could not get into this movie, and I still don't know why. I don't know. So for me, and not to make this a Scott Pilgrim podcast, but I could talk about <laughs> this movie for hours. I mean, for me, the thing that I love about it is that it is so dense. It's so densely directed by Edgar Wright. The jokes are are not only coming from the dialogue, but there's visual jokes. It's very British in that sense. Um, but like it's 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 the jokes are coming a hundred miles an hour and the and it's got it's like quickly edited and the jokes are are really subtle but like it's it's really well written and densely written too um, and I just really uh, connect with the style of humor of the movie the video game part of it is whatever um, <laughs> I, I I like it because of the writing and the filmmaking because I think I think that it's Edgar Wright's best directed movie I, I think that movie is so. Uh, I don't know how he he pulled that off because there's so much detail to it. And of course, Edgar Wright was uh, at this point in like still in like crazy pre-production on Ant-Man, which he would never end up directing. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is something that had been like gestating for like 10 years before he finally pulled out of it. Yeah. Uh, Look, I, I can appreciate the craftsmanship in Scott Pilgrim. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know what it is that I could not get into Scott Pilgrim. I I really legitimately tried, and it's it's it kind of bombed at the box office. It didn't. I think it was it was, um, but it's super well received, and I just don't know why I can't get into it because I I really tried. I really did. I've watched it twice, and I just can't do it. But yeah, I, I watch it. It's one of those things where you pick up on different stuff each time you watch it i watch it at least once a year and i enjoy it more and more every time and it climbs up my you know edgar wright is one of my favorite directors and it climbs higher and higher up my list of his best films every time i watch it so would you would you call this the best comic book movie of 2010 yes okay i would Um, safely call it that yes okay good (laughs) i probably would too even though i wasn't really that into it well you haven't seen jonah hex so let's be fair oh okay (laughs) you're right i'm sorry i should stay objective at this point 
so we found it. This post credit sequence is an anomaly in this Marvel Cinematic Universe in that this is actually footage from the next film. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that, but this is like the 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 post credit sequence in this film is actually in the next film, which is Thor. Yeah. And this is uh, obviously Agent Clark Gregg is Agent Coulson going to the New Mexico desert and finding Thor's hammer in a crater. And it was actually used in the next film, uh, weirdly enough. I mean, it's not its not even different shots. It's literally shot for shot. Is it sideways and askew? <laughs> no. I haven't, uh, you, you, I haven't actually rewatched Thor yet, so I don't really remember, remember how it looked otherwise. You're going to pick up on a certain distinct visual style when you That's watch Thor. Directed <laughs> by Kenneth Branagh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a weird, weird choice, it feels like. But maybe because it was kind of Shakespearean in its Asgardian stuff. I don't know. Uh, but uh, You really I, hit the I, S hard in that one. In this Asgardian stuff. <laughs> I feel like this is probably uh, one of the better teasers. Like, it, it's it's a... Uh, well, it, it's, it's, it's subtle. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, it's so hard to recontextualize these particular things because I don't I don't know... One, if news was getting out as quick uh, as it does now, but I also don't remember if Thor had been announced at that point. So I don't know, like, when you're seeing that tease, if it's like, oh, shit, it's Thor for the first time, and then you don't know about it, or um, or if it's something where everyone knew it was Thor, everyone knew what was going on. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I totally, I totally don't remember either. Like, like I said, like you said, it's hard to to put yourself in the mindset of what was going on then, as to whether or not you knew Thor was coming out next the next year in 2011. Which yeah. I, I probably did. If I had to guess, I probably knew. Mm-hmm. But, but it was still one of those things that I, I'm not. I'm you and I aren't necessarily the right audience for stuff that that might surprise you in a movie theater. You know, with the 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 attention we pay to the oh, industry. Oh, oh, I've yeah, and I've never I've also never watched a Marvel credits stinger and been like, "Oh my god." Like that's just never happened to me. Really? Not even like a like a a, a wink. Uh, I mean, I think probably my fa- <laughs> this is maybe just cuz it's my sense of humor. My my f- my absolute favorite Marvel credits stinger and it's not even really a Marvel movie is in uh, Spider-Man into the, into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. with uh, Oscar Isaac as um Spider-Man 2099. You saw that one, right? Yes. Okay. That's my favorite stinger ever. That, that's a just, really good one. Just because it's fucking hilarious. Wasn't there one where wh- the whatever movie had the Captain America... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Homecoming. Yeah. Wasn't there a stinger of one more video of that once uh, or during that movie? There was... Uh, it was like a self-referential thing. Yeah. Wasn't, uh, it about the very- the, wasn't it about the credits or like you're still... Yeah, it was movie. it was something like that. It was very very much uh like why are you still sitting here? Yeah, that's the best one. I that love is that. that that's a really great one too. I I <laughs> we're getting off on a tangent here, but I love I love Hannibal Burris in that film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Calling Captain America a war criminal. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I actually uh, to add another tangent, I was I'm on the Jonah Hex Wikipedia page. Oh. Have you seen the cast of this movie? Isn't it um I have not. I know it's it's Josh Brolin, Megan Fox. Is it John Malkovich? John Malkovich, 
Michael Fassbender, Jesus. Michael Shannon, <laughs> Will Arnett, uh, Wes Bentley, Lance Reddick, and um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is in it. Uh, John God Gallagher damn. Jr., Tom Wopat. <laughs> Who's John Gallagher Jr.? He is the guy from Short Term Twelve, and he was on the news uh, the newsroom. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That well, Tom Wopat. Oh, and uh, and also, um, yeah, Aiden Quinn. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a pretty that's a, well that's a I feel like Tom Wopat and Aiden Quinn are kind of the same dude. <laughs> well, that's and, a, that yeah. is a really stacked cast for a, a movie that ended. Who directed that movie? Uh, Jimmy Did, Hayward. Oh, I don't know who that is. Um, he was an animator on the Toy St- uh, for Pixar for a long time, and then he directed um, Horton Hears a Who and Freebirds. Oh. I don't know what Freebirds is, but okay. So I think it's this is the only live action movie he's ever done. Kind of like Andrew Stanton, who uh, screwed the pooch with uh, John Carter, and then went back to Pixar. Yeah, but did, hasn't he done great Stranger Things work? Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're right about that. I forgot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's Stranger Things has redeemed a, a, several people directorially, uh, including Sean Levy. Um, is it Sean Levy? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and Andrew Stanton, Sean Levy did the Night at the Museum movies, which made billions of dollars. But yeah, how many of those are there? Are there three? Uh, there's two? at least there's at least three. Okay. Anyway, uh, back to the stinger here. Uh, I, I do. I did think it was probably one of the oh <laughs> the, the interest. I'm sorry, the Night at the Museum, written by Thomas Lennon and Ben Carant. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a. We're off on a way bigger tangent here. There's a great book by them uh, on like selling a screenplay, like how they they just made millions of dollars on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're very uh, shameless about it. Which is nice. It's great. Anyway, uh, the stinger for this one obviously introduced Thor. I think it was pretty effective. You know, I, again, I can't, I can't remember how I felt about it at the time. I'm sure I knew there was a Thor film because it was only a year away. But uh, I, I do wonder what it's like for the for people that are not as in the know as you and I are, or other people might be. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh shit, Thor. Yeah, but. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't remember feeling anything about that, <laughs> especially because at the time, and we'll talk about it um, on the uh, on the next episode. But the, you know, there's it keeps on resurfacing. There was a headline written from some trade magazine uh, that says, you know, Marvel gambles on two unknowns for Thor movie, and it was Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth, uh, yeah. which ended up being funny. Yes. Yeah, uh, and and also the fact that like these are the lesser known characters too. Like, it's funny to think that you need to look back and think that Iron Man, Thor or Captain America were ever sort of this third tier hero in the, the Marvel mm-hmm. stable. Turn that off. Take it off. I ran. No grave immediate threat here. Is that Justin Hammer? How did Hammer get in Justin, you're on TV. Focus up. Wow. Yeah, I'd say uh, most countries five, ten years away. Hammer Industries, 20. I'd like to point out that that test pilot survived. I think we're done is the point that he's making. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any reason. The point is, uh, you're welcome, For I what? guess, because I'm your nuclear deterrent. 
It's working. We're safe. America is secure. You want my property? You can't have it. But I did you a big favor. I have successfully privatized world peace. What more do you want? For now. I tried to play ball with these ass clowns. F*** you, Mr. Stark. F*** you, buddy. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. All right. If you want to reach us, you can email us, podcast at cinesnob.net. You can find us on Twitter at ReMCUPodcast and on Instagram at ReMCUPodcast. Please, 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 if you like the show, go to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a, a nice little worded review. You can also find us on uh, Spotify and Stitcher and wherever else you download podcasts. Coming up next... We're going to talk about Thor. We've already talked about it a little bit, but we're going to revisit the first adventure of Chris Hemsworth as the Asgardian God of Thunder, which uh, have you you've rewatched Thor at this point, correct? Uh, no, I've seen um, I've, I've started it and then I wasn't concentrating. I'm so just going to try it again um, here soon. But again, uh, yeah, I've seen the first like five minutes. This is uh, you really lost concentration quick. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is uh, again going to be this, the first time I've watched it since it was released in 2011. I remember not. I remember really not liking the fish out of water uh, elements of. I, I think I always think that that's the easiest joke to make in these types of movies, um, and and it's just it's like lowest common denominator humor that I just did not enjoy. The biggest thing I'm interested in seeing is how the character has sort of evolved because I think they really found the stride, uh, the char- stride of the character with Ragnarok, making this some sort of like a humorous character that's also you know very powerful. I, and I think that sort of reinvigorated the role and the character for me and for everyone else, and probably probably for Chris Hemsworth too. Because I mean, after Thor: The Dark World, it was pretty dire. You know what? That's that's actually a great point, and something that I'm interested in seeing myself is is one how far removed Thor is from the character who he has become, but but also like if there's even any glimpses of what he become because it's almost like Ragnarok just completely unleashed this different side of both Hemsworth and Thor that made that character so enjoyable and one that really like because of that it really pays off in in game um, with some really rich not only story but but some really funny stuff and it's it's weird that like that like it reinvented it so much that now chris hemsworth is like starring in a comedic role in the new men in black movie like so yeah yeah yeah. along with tessa thompson uh valkyrie valkyrie yeah all right on that note i'm jared kingery and i'm cody viafani